Good morning, everyone. Welcome, one and all, especially if this is your first time here at Oakcrest or you've come back for a special day. Certainly glad you're here. Hope this is a blessing to share worship with us today. If I've not met you, uh, my name is Brian Simmons, and I serve the Lord as the preaching minister here at Oakcrest. And I said last week that I wanted to tell you today about the worst person I've ever met in an airport. Um, I spent a lot of time in airports. Uh, one thing you may or may not know about me is that for four years I would fly from Oklahoma City back to Portland, Oregon to preach each weekend. And so I've been in a lot of airports and I've seen all kinds of people in airports. And I remember once I was flying to Portland and I was connecting through Denver and there was this guy at the gate right next to the one where I was waiting to make my connecting flight. And this guy was on his way to San Diego and he really wanted to go to San Diego. I can respect that, I actually like San Diego. The problem was that particular day, the flight from Denver to San Diego had been delayed. No reason given, but this guy was not happy. And so he steps up to the ticket agent and he says, I need to go to San Diego. Get that plane going right now. Well, gate agent has no power over that, and so with great patience and kindness, she explained to him there was some kind of a mechanical problem with the airplane, the flight was delayed, they would resolve it and get him on his way as soon as he could. That was not good enough for this person, because obviously the entire airline exists for his convenience. And so he pounded the table and he said, that's unacceptable. I want that plane in the air in the next half hour. Get me in touch with someone that can do that. Well, the gate agent, again, with great kindness and patience, explained that that's not going to happen. If he could have a seat and wait, they'd get underway as soon as they possibly could. Well, that was not good enough. So again, he pounds on the counter and he explains in the loudest voice possible that he was going to write to the president of the airline and that he wanted to talk to the captain. Get the captain of the airplane out here right now. I want to talk to somebody that can fix this problem right now. Well, of course, in an airplane, or airport rather, whenever that happens, everybody calmly goes about their own business. Oh no, everybody's looking at this guy and it's becoming incredibly awkward. Children are pointing, people are whispering, it's quite the scene. And pretty soon, the security people come on the scene. And I was just hoping the man would say that one word you should never say in an airport, bomb. <laughs> he didn't. But he got to spend some time with the captain, not of the airplane, but of the security forces there at the airport. And so as they led him away, he was protesting loudly. And wouldn't you know, in a great stroke of genius, about four minutes later, he heard the announcement. Flight 1617 to Denver will be ready boarding soon. I love it. But I think about that because it's the holiday season. And you might have noticed that something happens when the calendar turns from November to December. Whatever reservoir of patience people have, diminishes. <laughs> Whatever happens around the first or second or third or fourth of December, people's patience begins to wane and we begin to get annoyed with people. The holidays are a time when it's really difficult often to interact with other people. And that story that happened at the Denver airport all of those years ago, I see played out all too often in grocery stores or in places of business or on the campus where I teach. Because the fact of the matter is, these incidents are more common than you might think. And if we're honest with one another, we are more like that guy at the airport more frequently than we'd like to imagine that we are. 
And I've tried to explain why that happens. And that takes me to a story from the Gospel of Matthew. I want to show you a story in Matthew chapter 20 that I think is uncomfortably familiar to us because we see ourselves in it. It's the midst of Jesus' ministry here in Matthew chapter 20. He's out and about with his disciples. He's in a hurry, quite frankly, because Jesus is toward the end of his ministry when he will give his life for people. And he's got a lot on his mind and has been doing miracles and he's been preaching. And so the story opens up in verse 29 of Matthew chapter 20, and the story goes like this. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving the town of Jericho, a large crowd was following him. Well, there were these two blind guys sitting by the side of the road, and when they heard that Jesus was about to come by with his entourage, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. But the crowd rebuked them and told them, Be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Much like the Denver airport. So in your mind's eye, you have to grab a hold of these two blind guys, and this is their best opportunity to have their sight restored. If you had lived a number of years in that situation, don't you think you would be shouting out at the side of that road? And what strikes me is that the crowd around these guys rebuked the two blind men. Why did they do that? How do you explain this complete lack of compassion? How do you explain this self-centeredness? How do you explain this crowd of people that would turn on a couple of blind guys and say, shut up? How do you explain that? Well, for me, one way to explain that is to say that the crowd only focused on the moment. Now, what I mean by the moment is quite simply this. All they saw that day by the side of the road was this one snapshot in time, this one moment where Jesus is coming down the road and all they hear and all they see are these two blind guys. They're fixated on what happens in that exact moment. To them, the blind guys over here are making a scene. It's inappropriate. Don't be bogging down the Savior like that. Don't be doing that in public. It's much like the guy at the airport. All he can see is the moment he wants to go to San Diego. All he does is he sees the moment. All he knows is that he wants to get on that airplane. It's his right to get on that airplane. He paid good money to get on the airplane, and so I want to get on that airplane. All he sees is the moment. And it's the same way with us. Sometimes, in particular at the holidays, it appears, all we ever do is see the moment. The moment. But I suggest to you that there's another way to look at this. Rather than simply seeing the moment, could it be possible that we might be better served seeing the story? The story. You see, those two blind guys over here by the side of the road, they both have stories of how they came to be blind, and about what it's like to be blind, and what happened to them earlier that morning, and who spat on them as they stood at the side of the road begging for coin, and who kicked dust on them, and who gave them a coin, whose mothers love them. Just like that poor ticket agent at the airport in Denver has a story. I don't know what her story was. I didn't ask her, but I did happen to read a blog post of a Southwest Airlines gate agent who just last week posted a story that said, here's why I'm quitting my good job at Southwest Airlines. 
And if you read the blog post, you would find out that she's quitting because at this time of year, no offense, a lot of air travelers are jerks. And she said she can no longer, after seven years, put up with the rudeness and the meanness and the spite and the just poor treatment that she receives from people that fly on Southwest Airlines in the month of December. She's got a story. The two blind guys have a story. And I, I think that as Christians, it's important for us to recognize that what happened that day by the side of the road is people only were seeing the moment when they needed to see the story. We forget that everyone has a story. And you know what should remind us of this? Little Ralphie. Remember in the movie A Christmas Story, the greatest Christmas movie ever made? Little Ralphie has just received a C-plus on his essay. He's not going to get the one Christmas present he really wants. He's the victim of bullying at school, and he's walking through the snow, dejected and sad. And then Scott Fargus, the bully, he had green eyes, really, he had green eyes. He throws a snowball in little Ralphie's face, and in this particular photograph, you see Ralphie take off his glasses and rub his eyes. And Scott Fargus, the bully, doesn't know the story. Because the bully only sees the moment. Now, if you've seen the movie, you know what happens next. But I don't want to go there. I simply want to say that this is such a common experience in our lives that we've got to get to the point where we remember that everybody has a story. Now, you may be sitting there in the pew this morning thinking to yourself, well, I would never be like those people in the airport in Denver. I would never act like that guy pounding on the counter, demanding to see the captain, demanding that the plane fly immediately. That's not me. That might be my next door neighbor or the person in the pew in front of me or somebody else, but it's not me. It would never be the disciples, would it? Well, back to the Gospel of Matthew. <clears throat> You see, it's interesting what happens here in this story. In Matthew chapter 20, we go back to this. Then Jesus stopped, and he called to the two blind men. What do you want me to do for you? He asked them. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them, and he touched their eyes. And immediately, they received their sight, and they followed him. You see, in this moment, Jesus realizes there's a story here. It's not just the moment that he's on his way, he's busy, he's got things to do and places to be and people to see. Jesus stops, and he turns, and he has compassion on them. Jesus is concerned about the other person. The guy at the airport counter is only concerned with himself. The only thing that matters to him is getting him to San Diego. The safety of the others on the plane, not a concern. The feelings, the pride, the embarrassment that the gate agent might feel, not a concern of his. The language that he used, and he did use some language. In fact, as a public school kid, he used words that I never heard. <laughs> But he wasn't concerned about the small children at the gate that day hearing that, or the mothers trying to protect their kids' ears from that. All he was concerned about was himself. But here, in his response to these two guys over on the side of the road, Jesus has compassion 
on them. You see, when you realize that everybody's got a story, it makes it much easier to have compassion on them. And so if somebody's a little grumpy this morning, give them a break. Because you don't know their story. You don't know the news they got yesterday. You don't know what happened to them this morning before they arrived at this building. Give them a break. If you're traveling through airports over the holiday season, the next four or five weeks, and you encounter gate agents, and they look a little stressed and a little frazzled, you have compassion on them because they've got a story. You see, everybody you interact with at the grocery store, where you work, at this church building, wherever you happen to go, to the gym, to the coffee shop, everybody has a story. One of my students back at the university had the misfortune of working as an intern in the governor's office during the time when many Oklahoma public school teachers were on strike. One of her jobs as an intern was to answer the phone when people would call the governor's office. And believe me, during that teacher strike, a lot of people wanted to call the governor's office. And so if an irate individual called up the governor's office, it was my 20-year-old student who answered the phone. Hello, governor's office. And they yelled at her, and they called her things. She was called a Nazi on two different occasions because she happened to pick up the phone in the governor's office during the midst of a teacher strike. And she came to me and she said, Brian, I, I don't know if I can continue to do this. It is really killing me. And this is the most kind, sweet-spirited, good-hearted person you'd ever want to meet. And yet that's how she was treated. Because some people could only see the moment and they didn't have compassion because they didn't realize that my student had a story. And so I think it's important for us to remember the importance of compassion. And you know, compassion can be found in the strangest places, in the strangest ways. In the midst of war, you can find compassion. Here's a photograph behind me on the slide of what happened during World War I. In the midst of the trenches of World War I, in the midst of all of the blood and the mud and the guts and the shelling and the death and the mayhem and the destruction, a small kitten wandered into the lines of a soldier. And so the soldier took it upon himself to find some powdered milk and add some water to it and make milk and through an eyedropper fed this kitten back to health. That's compassion. Why does he do that? Because every kitten has a story. <laughs> compassion can be found in the strangest places. Oh, and by the way, speaking of airports, every time I would fly, I would purposely try and choose the seat. When I flew on Southwest, you can choose your own seat. I would choose the seat as far away from the baby as I possibly could. <laughs> in fact, actually, I often boarded toward the end of things. And so I one time saw something like this. It was this family uh, traveling with twin babies, and they had these little packets. It's displayed here on this particular slide. And in the packet was a little note that says, Hello, we're twin boys on our first flight. We're only 14 weeks old. We'll try to be on our best behavior, but we'd like to apologize in advance just in case we lose our cool, get scared, or our ears hurt. Our mom and dad, <laughs> a.k.a. our portable milk machine and our diaper changer, have earplugs available if you need them. <laughs> We're all sitting in 20E and 20F, and if you want to come by and get a pair, we hope you have a great flight. And they handed those out. It's brilliant. Now, the parents wrote that, by the way, okay? That's compassion. 
That's recognizing, look, we got a couple of young kids here. It might be loud. We understand. Don't get angry with us. But they're trying to say, look, we have a story here. We have a story. We're two parents flying with kids that are young. We're just trying to do the best that we can. So at this point, you're thinking to yourself, okay, yeah, 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 Brian, I know all this. I know all this. But surely, I don't have to be reminded of this because I wouldn't be like that guy. Did you hear what we read a moment ago in Matthew chapter 19? Let's read it again. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 13. And then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. These same disciples that the next chapter over would hear a crowd rebuke two blind guys are themselves, before that happened, rebuking the people who brought kids to see Jesus. The same disciples that by this point in time had seen Jesus walk on water and raise the dead and give sight to the blind and make the lame walk. These same disciples who had heard at least one of them confess that Jesus is Lord Two of these disciples who had seen Jesus transfigured rebuked people for bringing their kids to Jesus. Why? Because even these disciples, people like you and I that should know better, only saw the moment. They were completely confused about what was most important. They thought it was more important to protect Jesus' time and to make sure the important people got to spend time with Jesus. What they didn't realize is that they needed compassion. Because if you were the parents of kids who might have been sick or might have been in danger of um, some kind of travail, and you wanted to bring them to Jesus to be blessed, it's a big deal. But not to the disciples. And I think there's a constant struggle between what God says is important and what the world says is important. When I was back in Portland, Oregon, I taught at Cascade College, and our, one of our presidents used to have two things that he said to us all the time. In fact, these words were so meaningful that many of us actually put them on the door of our office. I live by these words, even though they're not on the door of my office. Uh, some of my students can tell you that I, I do my best to live this out. But our president, Dennis Lynn, used to say this, we see souls first and students second. Souls first, students second. And that's important because that phrase reminds me to see the story and not the moment. Because though I love and appreciate my students greatly, sometimes my students can be less than stellar. <laughs> Sometimes they can be grumpy, and sometimes they can be mean, and they do boneheaded things, and they're not always at their best. And it reminds me in those moments that I need to see their soul and not their paper. Their soul and not their grumpiness. Their soul and not their latest mistake. And the second thing our president used to tell us is this. We were supposed to say to our students, and I still say this actually on a regular basis, one of my students will come in and say, hey, Brian, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, and I'll say, what, what? You are not an interruption of my work. You are my work. You're not an interruption of my work. You are my work. And that's how the staff at Oak Crest is. That's how the shepherds at Oak Crest are. That 
is how Jesus was. You see, at that moment, when I say that to a student, I'm hoping the student understands that's what's important. And I'm hoping that as you hear me talk about this this morning, you understand that's what it means to see the story and not the moment. Because each person you meet at the grocery store, at the gym, at the coffee shop, and in this building, we all have stories. Everybody has a story. And so in verse 14, Jesus says this. Whoa, 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 whoa. I added that, by the way. It's not in the Greek. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. And by the way, this really is one of those passages of Scripture where I would love to hear the tone of voice that Jesus used. Because I think that's exactly how he said it. I think he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You let the little children come to me and don't hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. I don't think he said it like this. Let the little children come to me. I think he was angry with his disciples, who should have known better, who should have been able to see the story rather than see the moment. And so this morning, as the holiday season gets underway, as we're out and about, as we're living our life, I hope that we remember, to the best of our ability, everyone, everyone has a story. And if you remember that, I think you can treat them with compassion, And I think if you do that, we'll be doing what Jesus calls us to do. We need the Lord to surround us with people, to surround us with the memories, to surround us with the powers, to choose compassion and to see the story, rather than to choose selfishness and to only see the moment. And so this morning, in a moment, under his able leadership, Kyle and his team will lead us in the song, Surround Us, where we'll sing to God, asking to be surrounded. And in that moment, if this is an opportunity for us to serve you in some way, if you'd like to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, if you'd like to join this particular group of God's people, if you'd like us to pray about your life, this can be the day when you do that. Because you've got a story, and we want to help. And so if we can be a blessing to you this morning, one of our shepherds will be down here in the front, another will be in the back and up in the lobby, if that's more comfortable for you. Don't let the day pass when you can't be surrounded by people that love you and want you to come to God. So Kyle, if you would please, let's all stand together as a church family and sing.